0: Him. Oh, oh, Father, I pray that God we indeed would, God, surrender all to You. And that is the, the message of Leviticus in many ways, is that You are a, a, a great God, uh, worthy of of all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, all of our strength. And as You are holy, oh God, we are are called to be holy. Father, I pray that we... God would be, um, God willing, submissive people. I pray, Lord, that you would, God, fill me now with your Holy Spirit, even as that song speaks. God, to speak your word. And uh, God, may it challenge our hearts. And may we so live and, and serve you all of our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all good things must come to an end. nervous laughter. (laughs) We come this morning, obviously, to the, uh, maybe not obviously, to the last exposition of the uh, book of Leviticus. And it has been a, a long journey. It's been a difficult journey for me it's been a hard book to preach through and yet it's been very very challenging and as things come to an end your your reaction might be might 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 vary you might be filled with um, filled with sorrow might be all right (laughs) but might be kind of like the end of vacation after you have uh, you know enjoyed all the pleasures of the sea and of the beach and uh, um, you've enjoyed the, the sun You've enjoyed the time off, you've enjoyed the reading, whatever else you've chosen to do. And then and then all of a sudden it's time to go back to the daily grind and and you have sorrow in your heart that your pleasures are over. Or maybe at the end of an athletic season where you've had a good season, but but you lost in that regional game and so your season's over, and so you're you have sorrow in your heart. Sad that the season is finished because you enjoyed playing so much. Well, your your reaction could be relief. Like Relief after a long race, right? You've been training real hard for, for months and months, and day comes where the the uh, actual race comes, and you push yourself, and your your heart is burning, your lungs are pounding, you cross that finish line and go, oh, barely alive. I hope some of you are still alive, all right? Or it might be like that project at home, that addition to your house, or that remodeling project, or the landscaping job that, that you planned for a long time, and you saved up for, and you spent it, and now it's done and now you're just kind of sitting back and relaxing. That, that may be your reaction. Or it may be a, a time of joy. And this is kind of maybe where, where I hope we land um, because it hasn't been all smooth sailing. It has been difficult as we just took the word and just go straight into it. That I want you to think here of the graduates. It is graduation time and you put hard work in your classes. You studied hard. You've pressed on hard. Um, you've been working but your classes are passed and your diploma is received. I remember a friend of mine when we graduated from college together. He was from the inner city of Chicago. probably the only man in his family who graduated from college up to that point. And when he shook his hand, he was a basketball player, Mark Thomas. He stood about six foot four. He grabbed his diploma and went, yeah! He kind of went off the, went off the scene. And I hope that's your response from Leviticus. We've been, we've been working through our classes, and, and it's as if today we're getting our diploma. And, and what are we all going to say? Yeah! Let's say it with me. Here we go. Yeah! Joy in everything that we've done and we've accomplished. And it's, it's like we got that big contract at work. There's, there's time for joy. And, and, and I know that really my heart is this. Is that if I could preach through Leviticus, and we can work through that as a church, you can work through any passage in the Bible. I mean, what's when you think of the most difficult book of the Bible, what do you think of? Well, Leviticus might come to mind. Um, Revelation might come to mind, which we're gearing up towards. Um, Ezekiel might come to mind. Ecclesiastes might come to mind. If I and I were talking uh, this morning um, Just just I was hearing something on on Ecclesiastes Said I'd really like to preach through Ecclesiastes Someday kind of some obscure old, difficult testament and we will but just know that if we got through Leviticus You can get through anything And, and maybe you read through the bible This year, maybe you're not there yet or maybe as you start or maybe next year when you get to Leviticus Maybe it's not the mud and the grime that it has been before so many people start reading in genesis And they get to exodus and the first half is all exciting and the second half is the law, and they, but they push through and then Leviticus comes. They hit them like a big brick wall. They're like in this quicksand. But I, I hope as you become familiar with Leviticus, it can be, a, it can be a, a help to you. Well, regardless of your reaction, whether it's a reaction of joy or relief or, or sorrow, I, I know for some it is sorrow. Some have told me how much they've appreciated our time in Leviticus. And I know it might be appropriate this Memorial Day, Leviticus is done. You might just (laughs) say, just let it die. Next Memorial Day, I'll remember that we finished Leviticus on that day. And every year, just I'll remember that that book is dead. But I hope it's with joy because we have gone through. This is my 24th and final message. We've been going through about a chapter every time. And I trust that you know the theme of the book. Okay, who can help me with the theme of the book? Eva, do you know the theme of the book of Leviticus? You shall be holy. Because for these past, whatever, nine months or so, our, our screen up there, the fire-filled, you shall be holy of Leviticus with the subtle cross there. It's what it's all about. That you shall be holy. And if anything that you remember from this book, of all that we've talked about, I just, just remember that, that you shall be holy. It's the main application. And week by week... When you come to God, you must be holy. When you live for God, you must be holy. Now, holiness simply means this. We're being different. Like like God is different than us. God is set apart. God is is transcendent. He is God in three persons. The cherubim and seraphim, as we sang today, cherubim and seraphim, falling down before these great angelic beings falling down before the majesty of God. It means different, being set apart, righteous and pure to the infinite degree. And so likewise ought we to be different and set apart and righteous. Now we can't be as righteous as God, but but to the people living in the world, living for the world, we should be different than them. They should look at us and say, you are really strange. Well, I'm strange because our God is strange. Strange in the best sense of of the word. Three times this book there's a link between our holiness and the holiness of God. Leviticus 11:44 simply says be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 19:2 you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Leviticus 20:26 20, you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy. And over and over again, we've seen these two things at play. The holiness of God on the one hand and our need for holiness on the other. God is so holy that we need sacrifices to purify us. The whole purpose of chapters 1 through 7 just speaks about the sacrifices. You remember them? The burnt offering and the grain offering. Help me, third one. And the peace offering, good. And the sin and guilt offering, Good. Just those five offerings all coming at the same thing about our sin, our need for redemption, our thankfulness, our worship to God. We need a sacrifice. And God is so holy, we need priests. That's the whole purpose of chapters 8, 9, and 10. is about the, the priests, that, that we need someone to act on our behalf to come in before the presence of God. We're not righteous in our, of ourselves. We're not worthy to enter that. We need a priest to come and represent us. We, we are, are not clean. God is holy and we need to be clean to worship Him. And those who fail to consider such things won't come into the presence of God. Right? Do you remember the story of Nadab and Abihu? Here's a picture for the kids, right? The first priest, their story is told in, Acts chapter 10, in, in Leviticus chapter 10. They brought strange fire before the Lord which the Lord did not command. And see, they didn't treat God as holy. And they kind of came in a, a cavalier way and, and, and presented this fire... And God was displeased with them and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. And then Moses was talking to Aaron and summarized everything. He said this, he said, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. We come before God, we need to come before him, treating him as holy and, and we need to honor him before all the people. Gone are the days of just flippantly entering God's presence. Right? May we enter God's presence with holiness. Or how about the two men fighting the camp? They didn't quite look quite like that. But one man blasphemed the name and cursed, and it cost him his life. For God said, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him. Indeed, that's exactly what happened. Blasphemed the name, took the name of the Lord God in vain, and the congregation picked up stones and pelted that man until his skull was crushed, his bones were crushed, his body breathed no more, and he was dead. Listen, that is a glimpse of what it means that God is holy. We, we, can't, we can't come on our own merits. We can't come just flippantly. We can't come with sin on our soul. We need a sacrifice. We need a priest, and we need to be clean. i just say this. The holiness of God is serious stuff. One of the best books ever written, I believe, on this subject, R.C. Sproul's, The Holiness of God. If you've not read it, I encourage you to that. It just speaks of, of God and how transcendent and different He is. Yeah, and there's, there's no better picture about this joining between our sin and God's holiness and how we can can approach Him than the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, the pinnacle of the book of, of Leviticus. Remember the first half of it deals with coming to God. Then we got the Day of Atonement. And then the second half deals with living for God. And you remember that day, that Day of Atonement, seventh month, tenth day, right at the beginning of the new year. And the trumpet was sounded and that day, it was the one day in the year, When the priest of priests would enter into the Holy of Holies, bringing the best sacrifice that can be offered to atone for the sins of Israel. And you remember the people would stay outside fasting and praying and humbling themselves, just praying and pleading that God indeed would accept their sacrifice. Because they knew if God didn't accept their sacrifice, they were lost in their sin. And oh, to see that scapegoat then fly away into the wilderness. as a picture of how of God says that as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And, and just that assurance of the sins are gone and we can come before God again until we sin again. And the repeated sacrifices, as Hebrews says, can never make perfect those who draw near, since in them there's a reminder of sins year after year. For the blood of bulls can, and goats can never take away sins. It was a, it's a picture Oh, they can cover sins. Oh, they can establish some relationship again with God, but they could never take away sins. But they, they pictured then the Lord Jesus who came and was the, the perfect lamb of God who, who died for us. He was the perfect spotless one. And with our sins removed, we're called to be Holy. We're called to be like our God. And when living like our God, we ought to live different than those around us. We must not engage in sin like those who live for the world engage in sin. Leviticus called us to sexual purity. Leviticus calls us to love for neighbor. Leviticus calls us to priority, to to set our worship on God for the Sabbaths and the, the festivals. And though we don't keep them, the principle remains that we need to worship God We're called to extend hope and and give freedom to others. And and last week, chapter 26, was where we saw the consequence. If we obey God, we can expect His blessing. And if we rebel against God, we can expect His curse. And if we repent, God is ready to forgive. It's the good news. It's the hope. So as we come to the end of our time in Leviticus, really, in, in some regards, it's the question, are you different today than you were in September? Or has it just kind of continued on? As you graph your, uh, your uh, spiritual sensitivity, holiness, whatever? Has it gone up at all? Has it gone down? Uh, hopefully Leviticus has helped it to go up. So we walk that slow walk of sanctification until we are completely satisfied with him in heaven. But are there things about the holiness of God. That have gripped your soul. That your heart ever wants to please him. Or are there sins that you have set aside. Because of a glimpse into the purity. Of what God requires for his people. Are you coming maybe more seriously. And earnestly before the Lord. You know. If we get to the end of the book of Leviticus. Like we're doing today. And nothing changes our lives. We're just like what James talked about. Who are. Hearers of the word, but not doers. And James warned about that. He said, No, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And then remember, he gave that illustration about the man who looks intently at the mirror, and then when he goes away, he totally forgets what he's like. That's like hearing the word of God here and then going out from this place, totally forgetting what God calls us to be. I say, Heaven forbid, church family. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now fundamentally, as Leviticus shows, the centrality of it is the cross. Leviticus is, is, is shadows, is what Hebrews 10.1 calls this book. Shadows pointing us to Christ. The substance isn't Leviticus. The substance is Christ. And as we have gone through here, I've tried to repeatedly just over and over showing you how they symbolize and how they anticipate christ because in our day we we approach god is fundamentally different than when the jews did because for us messiah has come for thus messiah hadn't come and we don't need to bring animal sacrifices because jesus the one whom all those foreshadowed was the perfect lamb of god and we don't need a human priest because we have a, a divine priest the one mediator between god and man the man, Jesus Christ. And he is our perfect high priest. No one is better than him. Melchizedek, he holds his priesthood forever. Jesus holds his priesthood forever, unlike the priests of um, Moses' line, the Levitical line, who when they died, they needed more priests and more priests. We don't. We just got one priest. And so we come to the same priest throughout our whole life. And Jesus has washed us clean His blood. First Peter 1, you were ransomed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are still children of God, though, by faith. We come by faith, just like those in the Old Testament do. It's not totally different. They came by faith, as Phil read in Hebrews chapter 11. But as we believe and trust in God, as we're washed clean of our blood, then we are called to be holy like our heavenly Father is holy. As Peter said, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so here we come to chapter 27. It's the conclusion of everything. It's, it's, the, it's the so what chapter, if you will. So what? So, so, so what about Leviticus? What are you going to do? Are, are you going to live a life of holiness or are you going to continue along your own way? This chapter chapter 27 is about dedicating people and animals and possessions to the Lord, sanctifying them for the Lord's use. And, and this chapter is all about giving instructions for that. And the question then comes us, right? Do, do you respond in ways that are appropriate to him? And, and today the response is, is that of giving. Are you giving? My message this morning is entitled, "Dedicated to the Lord." Chapter really breaks down into two sections what you can dedicate and what you can't dedicate. I want to look at our first section, what we can dedicate, if you haven't done so already Leviticus chapter 27. I want to begin reading at verse 1, and I'll just stop and comment along the way about what you can dedicate. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If The person is from five years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male, 20 shekels. And for a female, 10 shekels. If the person is from a, a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male, five shekels of silver. And for a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. If the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation of a male shall be 15 shekels. And for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone's too poor to pay the valuation... Then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him, and the priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. The first thing that you can dedicate to God is, is people. You see that right there in verse 2. If anyone makes a special vow of the Lord involving the valuation of persons. And then the following, there's some instructions. A strong, healthy man from age 20 to age 60, 50 shekels of silver. A woman, same age, 30 shekels. That's not, ladies, because you're worth less, but you're just not as strong. This is, this is an agrarian society. How much work can a man do? And men are stronger. They have more valuation. A, a child though, is only 20, an infant is 5, a senior citizen is 15. And uh, they just represent capacity of work, right? A middle-aged man can do more than an older man. A middle-aged man can do more than a a young child, and uh, this has been made clear in our house just over the past two days. We have a a fence in our backyard, and we are are taking it down to replace it with one of those invisible uh, doggy fences, and so it requires quite a bit of labor as we take down this fence, and each of these fence poles were were dug down maybe about two feet deep with all this concrete around them, and... uh, so here we are we're working okay this was friday afternoon and um i said okay guys let's have a contest between hannah whose back is to you, gym between sr now hannah you know she's bordering on maybe 20 shekels maybe she's 15 shekels sr is bordering on 50 shekels and when they dug this thing um, I, I got a little video of it i said okay guys you might want to pace yourself this is a half hour job And I'm kind of filming, kind of going. I like to make these family films a little bit. And um, S.R.S. was out like that. Five minutes maybe? I said it was going to be a half hour job. He took it out probably five minutes. We had 17 posts. He probably took out 10 of them. 12 of them. (laughs) Probably 12. I took out like two or three late Friday and, and Saturday. Hannah took out one. Steffi tried to but she didn't. David tried to but they didn't they didn't get get very far. But that's why SR would be valued at 50 shekels of silver, where I'd be closer to the 15. Like over I'm not I'm not quite there at 60, but I'm feeling like I'm I'm at 60 after trying to move some of this some of the earth. Okay, so getting back to Leviticus, valuations of people. Now what this all means, I'm not exactly sure, okay? And I have more questions than answers. But the picture is clear; it, it has something to do with giving people to the service of the Lord, and doing so requires a cost right so so think hannah she 's barren, praying earnestly before the Lord. she prayed this first Samuel one eleven. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. And the Lord opened her womb, and Samuel was born, and as soon as he was weaned, he brought him to the tabernacle to let him dwell there forever. That's what 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 22 says. Now, as you read the account for Samuel, there's no mention of valuation for Samuel. Some sacrifices are offered. Some grain offerings are are offered. um, But no no valuation. And and so I'm I'm confused with details. Like, okay, so this is a child. Is this like like five shekels as an infant? Or is it a a child? Is it 20? And what about when Samuel turns 20? Is he going to be... It at 50? Is it a yearly thing? I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. For someone to get, be of service to the Lord in the sanctuary, it requires some financial commitment from outside. And I think that's what's being talked about. Committing someone to the Lord, there's financial assistance outside. May, so I think of this woman. What's her name? Any idea what her name would be? Who? Elizabeth is a great guest. That's not who this is. But hundred hundred percent for that, who would this be Sarah. Sarah's another great guess okay hundred that's not we're talking Anna you remember Anna? I'm talking about someone dedicated to the Lord in the temple where Hannah it's uh, Anna was married young, married for seven years, became a widow, and then served in the temple. It says night and day she never left the temple, and she served there for until she was 84 when she got to see the baby Jesus. But here's my point. Is it somebody financed her work? Somebody was, was paying for her to, to be there. I don't, I don't know how, but somehow I think this is a valuation of people. You're paying for the the value of those people, the, what it costs. So I just think a good parallel to that is financing the Lord's work. I mean, in order for me to devote myself full-time To the Lord's work, I need financial help. And apart from your generous giving, I'd be working a second job. But I'm not because you're giving evaluation people so that I can serve the Lord in this way. And I I just say this, a giving your church is like valuation for for people. And and so it's a response to the book of Leviticus, right? I I understand the priority of the tabernacle or in our day. I understand the priority of the ministry. I I understand how it would be good and helpful for people to be freed up to do the work of God. And I I love the Lord. I want to give to His work. And, And you can say that with pastors. You can say that with missionaries. I mean, missionaries don't just go across the world because they just want to. Now, some of them are independently wealthy, wonderful. But vast majority of them need funding financial help and, and anything that you give to help them is i think in some ways parallel to this valuation of people you're giving people to the lord and his service and i just want to commend you the work of giving whether it's to this assembly whether it's giving to the work of christ abroad to missionaries give i say this as a response to the holiness of god give in response so what so what does the book of holiness call us to it calls us to give to support people in the ministry in the tabernacle Well, the next thing that you can dedicate is you can dedicate animals. It comes in verses 9 through 13. If a vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good for bad or bad for good. If he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and its substitute shall be holy. And if it is unclean, any unclean animal may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad, and the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the evaluation. Again, there's lots of questions, more questions in the particulars, but the, the point is clear, right? Animals can be brought and dedicated to the tabernacle. Clean animals can be given, bulls, goats, lambs, pigeons, turtle doves, those acceptable for sacrifice and and once you make a vow to this animal you can't substitute it so right you can't play any like like funny business like offering <clears throat> showing the priest you're going to offer this good animal right and then when it comes the day you're you're giving this lame animal the priest says if i catch you both animals are mine and if the priest didn't catch it god knows but how often, even like Ananias and Sapphira, they claim to be given one thing when they're really given another, and Ananias and Sapphira died on the spot. But so likewise, you can give animals. Regarding animals, here you can even give unclean animals. Now, those aren't for sacrifices, uh, of course. And, and here's a little bit where some difficulty comes in understanding this, because we see in verse 12 that the, the priest values it. It's good, healthy, it's high price. If it's weak and sickly, it's a low price. But, but, but think about this: if you're giving this animal, you're paying for it. Like you're giving it to sacrifice, so not only am I giving the lamb to sac- be sacrificed, but I am paying for this lamb. Or not only am giving this donkey to be used, but I'm also paying for this donkey. Is that strange? We well, ever been to a fundraising banquet? Where you pay huge prices for each plate to begin with, and then you hear this speaker speak about the cause or, or whatever, and you're asked to give more. And then there are these gift baskets here which you're asked to to uh bid for so as to even pay more. And and then an offering plate is passed where you can even give more, and a follow-up phone call perhaps is there if you want to talk about giving more. I mean this is what you're you're giving the animal and you're paying, you know, but but people who go to a fundraising banquet as I've been to those my, myself it, the idea is I want I love this work I want to commit to this church work and it's a way just to raise money for that I think also likewise here we have the the valuation of 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 helping of of giving that may be one explanation another explanation of this valuation may be going like this it, it may be that you have this donkey, you dedicate it to the Lord, and then you're kind of buying it back. So it's the Lord's donkey, but it's in your use. Now it may be of use of those who are in the tabernacle, but it also may be that that you use it as well. It stays in your home. Could be. That could be what it is. You keep it and you use it. Maybe there's some kind of marker, maybe some kind of, of certificate, some kind of plaque you hang on the wall. Maybe some certificate putting it. I, I don't know, but I think it's that's that's a reasonable explanation. Where I'm giving this donkey, but I'm giving you money, so it's financially to help the cause of the tabernacle. mean the tabernacle just overrun with all these animals, perhaps, and they can only slaughter some of them. And they got they got thirty five donkeys. What are they going to do with all these? And then someone else comes with another one. But people have need of those, and I say this because that's how Corbin can easily be understood in Mark chapter seven corbin means dedicated to the lord and uh, you remember when jesus had this interaction with the scribes and pharisees and they weren't washing their hands quite right and and these pharisees came up and says why don't you wash your hands according to the tradition of the elders and then jesus quotes to them he says well why do you invalidate the word of god for the sake of your traditions let me give you an example one commandment says honor your father and mother and what what you say is no i 've got this corbin, this thing, according to tradition, which i have have given to the Lord, and it 's the lord's, and i can't it 's god's and even though i 've paid for it, I, I still have it, but i can 't use it for someone else because i can 't sell it, sort of a, a tradition of what they what they had and and what they used, but some of this might be there, so the aging parents, what could be used couldn 't be sold. But here in Leviticus chapter 27, it does add that if he wishes to redeem it, he can add a fifth. He can redeem it with a, a little bit extra, adding another 20%, maybe. So I'm, I'm envisioning this. You're giving this animal, you're paying it back, you've, you've got that, this is the Lord's, but you run upon hard time and you want to sell your donkey because you need some cash it's, it's yours, but it's really God, so you can't sell it. And so what you can do is, is get out of that vow by paying another 20% and maybe being able to sell that get that back. I, I think an equivalent might be IRAs, individual retirement accounts. The government gives us tax break if we put that money in there and promise to let it grow so that we take it out then when we're retirement age. But that money is still there. If we want to take a penalty, we can get it out. Similar way, I think, perhaps to, to think about it. And I think that applies to animals. I think that applies also, thirdly, to material possessions. And that's what we see in verse 24. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. And as the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. And here you see the same thing. You've dedicated your house to the Lord. Now, I don't think this means you pick up your house and put it in the tabernacle. Uh, it may mean that priests come and live in your house, but it may mean that just our house is dedicated to the Lord. You put some sticker out front to say this, I, we've given this house to the Lord. It is the Lord's house. So it means you can't sell it because it's His. If you need to, then you lose this 20% penalty. You know, in some ways, I, I think this is a little bit like uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's uh, Blue Eagle program. Have I any of you heard of this program before? Zero? You always learn something new at Rock Valley Bible Church, the, uh, <clears throat> the Blue Eagle program. The idea is this is that uh, FDR, in order to try to lift a country out of the depression, tried all these things, okay? And uh, one of the things was this Blue Eagle program, and you, if you were totally in, in alliance with the National Recovering Administration Act, uh, National Industrial Recovery Act, you were allowed to display this blue eagle, either in your home or in your business. Now, some of the things I've heard that it says is that you're going to cut down your hours. So if you're a 40-hour work week, you're going to cut down to 30 hours, but you're still going to pay everybody the same. It's like typical union politics, right? Just reduce your hours. Everyone pays the same. And see, if everyone does this, then it will employ more people. And basically, it's all funny how it all worked, but like many things, he just, he's trying something to to get... Uh, United States out I'm not commending it I'm not saying it worked I'm not saying it was good or bad but here's what it is, is pressure you put a little sticker on your on your window and if you look at that eagle one talon, he's got a gear representing industry industrialization the other's got lightning bolts representing power and just there was this momentum that says hey just give, do your part and uh, how Hugh Johnson the head of the nra the national recovering administration said this when every american housewife understands that the blue eagle on everything that she permits into her home is a symbol of its restoration to security may god have mercy on the man or group of men who attempt to trifle with the bird so only buy from those specific companies who have the blue eagle if they don't have the blue eagle then shun them and this whole peer pressure sort of sort of worked a bit and uh, I, I, I think there 's some of that idea here be behind the the valuations, right based upon your possessions, you can dedicate to the Lord, maybe you got some kind of plaque that says this has been given to the Lord thereby your support you 're demonstrating your support, national solidarity with Israel. And when it comes to dedicating your land, or a portion of your land, you've got to take into account the year of the Jubilee. So verse 16 and following gets a little confusing, but I want to read it because I've read almost all of Leviticus in your hearing, and I think it'd be good. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that's in his possession, so this is not houses, this is a land, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed, that is what it produces. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of the Jubilee, the valuation valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the Jubilee, and a dedication shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price and it shall remain his. Uh, again, you see this fifth price, so you don't just do this all the time. But if you make, if you run into trouble, there's always a, a loophole to get out. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or it's been sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that's been devoted. And the priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession... Then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of the jubilee. And the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of the jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs a possession. In other words, you can't lose a land through selling it, uh, through someone else selling what you sold until the, the jubilee. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 geras Shall make a shekel. So, in case you're wondering what a shekel is, right there, it's twenty geras All right, so that's that's all clear now. Uh, and, and again, right, it's lots of confusing things in here, and, and for the sake of time, we're not going to go through all these all these rules and stuff. But but bottom line, this God has established a way for for His people to support His work through gifts, whether so it's people or or animals or uh, His possessions. Really, anything that we own, we can give to the Lord. And I just think a simple question of application says this. Are your possessions dedicated to the Lord? Are they given to God? Simply put, is your house, is your land, your car, your cars, your boats, cabins, your dinner table, your books? Is it devoted to the Lord? In other words, are you using the blessings of God to further the work of God? That's a good way to put it. God has blessed you. Okay, so what are you doing there? Are you, are you using that to further His work? God says you can use the things that God has given you, but just consider them to be the Lord's. Now, God doesn't need anything. Psalm 50 says this. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. See, God doesn't need anything. Because he owns it all. And to be holy means to set apart. And that includes, are we set apart with us and our possessions? The world clings tightly the stuff, but God says use it loosely. By the way, as we go to our, our second point here, this is all voluntary. There's nothing in the law that required this in, in, in any way, and, and I say this because right, our next section is what you can't dedicate. So he goes through beginning here, in verse 26, what you can't dedicate. I mean, you, you can't give these things to God because God already owns them. He, you can't give these things, you can't dedicate these things to God because God already requires them. So there's a difference between these, these first dedications and now these are like required dedications. See, Verse 26, but a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. In in Exodus 13, verse 2, we read, Consecrate to me the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open a womb among the people of Israel, both a man and beast, is mine. And you cannot dedicate the firstborn because the firstborn is already God's. Mandatory. You can't... Do you see that? I think there's, there's a division here. You can't dedicate that which has already been claimed. It's like double dedicating. He can't do that. He can't dedicate the firstborn. He can't dedicate a devoted thing. Right? Verse 28. No devoted thing. I'll explain what that is a little bit. Uh, a devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for the destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. I think primarily says reference to the con- conquest of Canaan. When uh, Israel came in, God said, There are some things under the ban, some things devoted to me, right? When you destroy AI, don't take anything. And the problem was that Achan coveted and he took things that were under the ban. And he took the things devoted to God for himself. And it was wrong for him to take that? It would have been wrong for him to take that and then devote it to God because it's already God's. God said, destroy it all. I don't want anything to do with these people or with their things. I think uh, likewise, if someone was sentenced to death, you can't ransom someone's got the death penalty. You you can't, you can't, can't get out of that loophole. They were there. What God wanted destroyed, he didn't want dedicated to him. You know, this this is a little bit like like giving unwanted things to the church, okay? Like, you know what? Hey, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Ha! Huh, I'll just give it to the church. Church piles up with junk, right? Throwing that table away anyway? Let's give it to the church. We don't need it. Hey, the church needs it i don't i don 't think so don 't give it to the church if it 's of no use to you, it probably is not of use to the church. So I recommend you do is sell it and give the money to the church if you really want to do something in that way and you 'll probably get only a little bit because uh, you don 't need it. Nobody else needs it. Have a garage sale, sell it for three bucks, and do what you want with the three bucks right have a starbucks oh you can't can 't buy a Starbucks for three bucks. you need four bucks for that but there it is. If it's devoted, you can't. So you know, God doesn't want things that were destined to be destroyed anyway. So you can't dedicate a firstborn a devoted thing. You can't dedicate the tithe. Uh, verse 30, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. If he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. He closes these are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. The tithe was mandatory. He can't dedicate that which is mandatory. Now, when we're talking tithe, don't don't think what, don't think just ten percent. Yes, tithe means ten percent, but when you you look at Israel, Israel had two tithes and a third of a tithe. They had every year they were required to give a tithe, that is a tenth, to the Levites who perform the duty of the sanctuary. Numbers eighteen, they had to give a tenth there, and every year. They were required to give a tithe for the festivals, which were celebrated in Jerusalem three times each year. So you give a tithe to the Levites, a tithe to these yearly festivals, so you can really have a party. And every third year, they're required to give a tenth for the needy, which were the Levite, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And you couldn't give this 23 and a third percent because it was already God's. And when it came to the 23 percent, Israel was robbing God if they didn't pay it. Malachi said this, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you, God? And God says, In tithes and offerings you're robbing me. And then he says, You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, think cursed with a curse. Think about Leviticus 26. The rebelling you get cursed. And then he says, Okay, so bring the whole tithe, all 23 and a third percent, into the storehouse. So there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows. The offerings of Leviticus 27 are above and beyond the 23%. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking just giving more, more than just a paltry 10%. Now, now to be fair, we're talking 23 and a third percent. We're talking about that that sustains the government in our, in our, our day and age as well. So if you're paying more than 23 and a third percent in taxes, don't, don't, don't say, oh, that's my gift. No, it's not, okay? But that's, that's what it was. Funded the public work of the tabernacle. But nevertheless, God called people to go above and beyond the tithe. And I, I would simply call you to do the same. Here it is, valuations, Numbers chapter 27. He says, give, give, dedicate, devote things to the Lord. And if you do that, here's, here's how to do that. And, and I just say this, the reality of, of things is that, that God owns everything. Our question isn't, how much should we give? Our question is, how much of God's resources should we keep? Right? You, you guys know this. Those who are in dating relationships, the one who asks, how far can I go physically, is asking the wrong question. Because you just go right up to that line until I can't go, and you'll probably spill over the line. The question is what right, if god is holy and sanctified right what's appropriate to stay apart and, and so likewise with giving it everything is god's we ought to figure out what we can keep what we should keep rather than what we should give we should give back to god what is his anyway first corinthians 4 7 what do we have that we did not receive the earth is the lord psalm 24 verse 1 says and the world and those who dwell in it okay so let's think about it. as followers of jesus now what, what's the call of the followers of christ what are we to give i just say this we need to give it all luke 14:33 those that, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple so when i'm saying giving it all i'm not saying we all should live in poverty okay that would be irresponsible because god has given us it's not to say you shouldn't enjoy the things you have that would be uh, god god gave us a creation to enjoy all right but when I say to give give it all, I, I think it means that we need to hold everything loosely and be ready to ready to give what what we can. Second Corinthians five fifteen says this. In fact. Well, we'll just close up there. Why don't you turn your Bible? Second Corinthians five fifteen. Just be one simple, one last New Testament verse that. gives us a. An insight into what we should give in light of Christ having come, verse fourteen, the love of Christ controls us, and there it is. you know how is it we should respond christ 's love should control us, that one has died for all, therefore all have died right, it 's the three musketeers, all for one, one for all, Christ has died him on behalf for all of us. He says, and, verse 15, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. He gave all for us. We should give all all to Him. Now, I I let you try to figure out what that means for your family, how much you keep, what that means with people, how much you keep, but I just know that I've always encouraged you to be a giving people. here missionaries people friends people in need whatever just just be giving and this chapter leviticus 27 is a response i think to the holiness of god it just says god you're so great here here's here's what i go i dedicate these things to you so may the lord bless us in in dedicating things to god let's pray father uh, i pray god anytime that we address our our pocketbooks Anytime we address the attitude of giving, God, how different it is than the world. And, God, it's because idolatry is in our hearts. As Calvin says that our hearts are idol-making factories. And so, Lord, would pray that you would convict us where we need to be. Convict us, God, but may this not be a, a drudgery at all. Father, but you have given to us that we might be the avenue of blessing at just think, if we've been as we have been praying much for Bob Clinton, as we have seen those emails about him in Nepal, and we have given much to Nepal in the past, uh, God, that's where our treasure is. That's where our heart is. And Lord, would pray that you would continue to help him to know how to how to give as he can, giving to those who are Lord in great need. I pray you'd help us, the church, to know how much to continue to give. God, help us individually to see what we can give, what we can help to the work of Christ abroad. Because we, we love it, oh God, when, when people who don't know you turn to you. Angels rejoice in the presence of God when sinners repent. And so in that, Lord, we do rejoice. Thank you, oh Lord, for the book of Leviticus. Thank you for its completion that we have graduated in some sense. And would pray you'd help us. We segue through the summer and eventually heading toward First John. God, may it be a refreshment to our souls as we look upon God knowing that we know that we are saved. Knowing that we have eternal life. Lord, I would pray that you would use that book in the life of our, our church family here just to um, startle the unbeliever. God, to show that, that they're not, they don't have eternal life. They need to truly trust Christ. They need to see that evidenced in, in love. And one of the the things, First John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Oh, God, the, there are many burdens that the law brings, and yet I pray that they would not be burdensome to us because we love you and we long to serve you. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who fulfilled all these shadows. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.